Hi, I'm Rob Langton from Development Ready. Our interview series delves into the lives of Australia's most respected property thought leaders and decision makers and uncovers what makes them tick. This is the interview. Yes, this morning is the founder and managing director of Wellco, a multifaceted development business specialising in building Australian communities. Andrew Welsh, thanks for your time this morning. Let's start with your background and then move into your current business. Take us through where your interest in property first originated from. Was it a lifelong passion you've always had or was it something that sort of came later in life? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to uh, watch all the previous interviews. So, so thanks, for, uh, thanks for the call up. But uh, look, property for me has always been a... Yeah, a real interest and and passion. I think like like most Australians um, have a, an interest in in property. Yeah, it probably grew for for me um, as I got older and you know got more exposed to you know the construction side really of um, of, of property. Um, so you know, I, I think early days, you know, looking at that you know, dream of, of owning your own home was was something that that brought the interest. And then you know, I've been lucky enough to turn it in, into a career from there. And in your former career as an AFL player, you played 162 games with the Essendon Football Club and were also made vice-captain. Reflecting on your career now, what are the highlights and key learnings you took away from that 10-year career? I really enjoyed my time playing professional sport. I enjoyed the, the sport side of it, but finishing and moving into you know, the business life, the, the learnings around you know, being able to make decisions under pressure. The importance of a real team environment to get a greater outcome is, you know, a few of the, the key areas that I've, I've certainly taken from the professional football life in, into business. You know, you miss that adrenaline rush of running out in front of uh, 100,000 people um, and enjoying the successes of wins. I never got to the ultimate and, and won a flag, but, um, but I've got some fantastic football memories. Um, but then also, you know, some, you know some, some memories and some learnings that are really carried through post that and and put me in good stead um, in the post football life because you know I lasted 10 years most footballers at the professional level you know last 12 months or 18 months so um, I was very lucky um, but um, but now out in the real world as I like to see post football it's a, it's a lot longer um, of, of an existence there that you need to make sure that um, you know all those those key moments that you did go through uh, you know you're, you're drawing on them when when required in in the real world. Now, you had uh, business interests in both property, but also a, a higher company, as I understand it, uh, Site Tech, while still an AFL player. Walk us through the impetus for starting a business. Was it an escape from the football world and, and that sort of dynamic, or was it just capitalising on, on your interest in property over the years? So I, I had a general interest just in business itself. So although you know property was a passion, enjoyed property, I actually enjoyed business and enjoyed um, understanding how businesses work. So regardless what it was, I was I was fortunate through my AFL career that I got to do work experience at some pretty you know, unbelievable companies um, through the networks of the, the football club. So whether it was with a development business, uh, whether it was with a marketing company, uh, whether it was with a, a landscape contractor, um, that, that really gave me an interest outside of footy that, um, you know, it's so self-absorbing and world-absorbing the AFL environment and, and it needs to be um, for, for many reasons. But to have those outlets was something that I really flourished um, with and found my football life was a lot better because I had these external um, businesses working and, 
and you know both the property business and SciTech were, you know there was there was you know people in there of the day to day runnings of it, um, and you know which allowed me to focus on football where required, and then also business where 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 was needed as well. And how did you find the transition from being a, a professional athlete to becoming involved in business? How easy is it to lose that routine and structure that you gain from being an athlete? It was quite easy. <laughs> I think I. Uh, I, well, I had a press conference um, and announced my, my retirement and um, the next day I was on a plane to, to China where we just um, purchased a, another 15 odd containers of temporary fence for the hire company at that time. So I, I moved on pretty quick. I'm one of routine, like I, I, I really enjoy a structure around knowing where I've got to be and, and what I've got to do. Although I'm a, somewhat a gypsy in, in that structure, um, I, I really do in, you know, enjoy and flourish in knowing what I've got to be doing and when I've got to be doing it. So that certainly carried through. You know, I don't get told what I have to wear, like a, what polo I need to be wearing for what interview or, or to what function or any of those type of things. Or if the end of my diary of the day has got to catch up with someone for a beer, I don't have to feel guilty anymore like I did when it was a football environment, catching up with someone for a, a cup of tea. Um, so those, there's some, you know, some of those positives that have changed within what actually sits inside the structure from a footy environment. And moving to today, this year you went through a, a corporate restructure and rebrand. Talk us to talk to us about what the business does, who's involved in, and what your mandate is. Yeah, so we you know we, we work um, primarily in growth areas. Um, you know, there's some unbelievable buildings and you know apartments and office space in 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 the city that uh, you know are not our skill set as a business. You know, we work out there in in the growth areas. You know, from residential subdivision developments where. We work through whether it's an agent we work with to secure the property or we go and secure the properties ourselves um, from a residential perspective. But then also, you know, the commercial retail sector out there in growth areas is a big part of our business as well, which um, we're seeing as a lot more people move to these growth areas. These these projects are coming on a lot quicker um, than you would have anticipated, you know, even 12 months ago um, because of the demand moving to those markets. So, you know, we, we, we set ourselves as a business that we we own all of our projects um, to date, but our growth's gonna come through you know, new markets, so regional, Victoria, um, Southeast Queensland, but also um, around joint ventures, um, development management agreements where we can provide our skill sets um, to a range of other parties um, under you know partnership type models. And as I understand it, the business has five projects underway currently and, and obviously a number in the pipeline. Let's start with the $1 billion Armstrong Creek Town Centre development. How did this opportunity come about and what's the project brief? Yeah, it's interesting the circle of life through footy to where I am now. It's, I spent um, uh, a bit of time working with a guy named Mark Casey down in Armstrong Creek. So he was one of the uh, the, the cornerstones really in pushing that um, precinct structure plan and getting it rezoned in, into residential land. So this is 15 years ago um, that I was working down through Armstrong Creek through the acquisition phase with, with Mark. Um, and then as I started you know, developing um, uh, in my own right and the business started to grow, the opportunity come um, for one of the town centre sites. Um, and then from that, it sort of, you know, we had the ability to grow and add on more um, strategic sites around it, which has turned it into, you know, a, a big project for, you know, for us, but um, but more importantly, a really big project for, for Armstrong Creek and that greater Geelong area, which, um, you know, we, 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 we had a pretty tough mandate 
opening up um, Coles Centre this year because of COVID. Um, there was about a period of a month where restrictions got lifted here in, in Victoria, and that was when we got open. Um, out, you know, if we didn't have that little gap um, and an enormous commitment from the team to, to work the hours that we did to, to get the centre open, it would have been an extremely challenging year for, for, for that project, but we're able to do that. And it's, um, you know, it's really growing there from a tenancy perspective where, you know, getting inquiry for new tenancies every day, um, which is, a, you know, a real positive for, for the challenges that um, the Victorian markets had. Um, due, due to COVID. And take us through the delivery program of this project so far. You sort of touched on it there, but where's it at currently and, and what are the next stages? Where does it go to from here? It's a 15 you know, plus year project uh, for us. We've only delivered the first stage. So for those listening in, so if you think of Rouse Hill in, in Sydney, um, or you think of Springfield Orion, which is in SEQ, um, it's your main street town centre model. So. Um, they're either you know, midway through or coming towards the end of their total development cycles there and have done you know, amazing jobs. We've learned a lot from you know, talking to those groups specifically around the right time and, and right way to be staging out a project of this size um, for a town centre. Um, our, we've only just delivered our first stage. So we have the flexibility in the site to actually work where, with where that demand's going to come from, from the changes of the environment that we're seeing um, that COVID has, has brought on. So the first stage is, is anchored by Coles. Um, we've got uh, yeah, Anytime Fitness, Terry White. We've got a, a um, Baker's Delights in there. We've got a number of um, local specialty stores and cafes and restaurants all opening up. So um, it really is becoming a, a hive of activity um, for the Armstrong Creek area. And we're about to start construction on our, our second stage in, in the next couple of weeks, which is a, a Dan Murphy's, Kentucky uh, uh, Fried and a Hungry Jack's. So, um, so we really have been able to you know, start accelerate, accelerating those programs um, due to the demand and, and where we go from there, you know, there's LFR, um, components within it. There's industrial, there's residential. It is really a, a true um, mixed-use town centre development. How important is it, do you think, to, to build the town centre and then attract the residents in the nearby housing stock as opposed to having the housing but no infrastructure to service the residents? Yeah, it's a big factor um, and, you know, and it is a, a big driver of people's choice um, around moving to these growth areas. Uh, what is there existing? Um, what what infrastructure's there, what amenities there, but what is coming and when is it coming are real real drivers. Um, so, so that was for us, for the greater Armstrong Creek areas, you know, a real key to the town centre was showing what we can do and the quality that we can do for the town centre alone, which is gonna help the greater catchment um, really develop a lot quicker. And if, if you track the, the residential markets down in Armstrong Creek, their sales, not just this year, but for the last three to four years have been some of the best in the country, the sales rates. Um, and now with people fleeing Melbourne, um, CBD for a variety of reasons, um, whether it's, it's work or, or whether it's uh, residents, um, Armstrong Creek is continuing to grow you know, at astronomical levels, which is really good for the town centre because we can then work in bringing the amenity a lot on a lot quicker than we would have done previously in a in a normal in a, a normalised market. I was going to ask just on that, what's your take on the future growth of the broader Geelong region? Geelong, I've been you know, really passionate about and bullish for. Uh, uh, 
15 years since I, I first started working down through those areas. I think the established market, what you're seeing, the price growth through there is, um, is you know, fantastic for Geelong. Um, they come off a reasonable low base. Um, so Geelong as a region, for many years, just wanted to stay as Geelong as a region and didn't really embrace the growth um, and all the attractions that Geelong and the greater area have, that, that changed over recent years and, and they're really seeing the economic benefits of doing that. The rail system that's, you know, that's going to be going in, connecting Melbourne to, to Geelong, that commute's you know, minimal now. Um, you've got the ferry service running out of Geelong, it's running out of Port Arlington straight into Docklands. Melbourne, we're not, you know, we're not like Sydney where you know, you become attuned to travelling by water. It's something we're going to have to grow into. But again, it provides that flexibility of transportation from Geelong, the Ballerine, the Surf Coast, the Surf Coast into Melbourne if you need to work in the city every day a week. But, you know, things will change um, post-COVID where you may not need to come in five days a week into the CBD. It might be two or three and you can easily commute by you know, ferry or by public transport you know, for, for those times if required. So I think we're going to continue to see accelerated growth in Geelong and, and the growth areas and the council are doing a fantastic job around making sure that there's the right infrastructure and the right available areas for people to come and you know, choose you know, the areas of Geelong or, or Armstrong Creek um, where, where, where suits them from a pricing perspective. And let's take a look at the other projects you've got on the go, one in particular, Thornhill Park, which is a, an enormous 3,000 plus lot master plan community northwest of Melbourne, about 40 k's out. How did that opportunity come about and, and how is it coming along? Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming along really well. Um, we took that, that project itself through uh, its own PSP, so it was, it was identified as a logical inclusion for residential. When Minister Wynne came in after about 12 odd months, we got a ministerial amendment um, which opened up significant growth area, which the whole, not just Thornhill Park, but um, Rockbank, Melton are all seeing the benefits of um, some really smart planning decisions made there. It's performed you know, really well for us, Thornhill Park this year. Um, we'll, we'll title upwards of 700 lots in that project alone this year. Um, we've done over 400 sales in that project alone this year. And, um, and, and it's given us the ability to continue and acquire and add on further sites to that project because we're in control of the infrastructure um, mm. because of the, the, you know, the strategic nature, how we set that site up from the start. Um, is going to you know, provide a pipeline for us for you know, a number of years um, ahead. So it's um, you know, it's a great project and and one that's um, really been supported by that by that community really well. 400 sales in, in one year and one one development's yeah. incredible. What's been the the driving factor and and how much of an impact has the home builder grant had on on getting those sales across the line? Yeah, it's been instrumental to be honest. Um, it's uh, it's really. What was a challenging time brought a lot of new eyes to the growth area market, um, and it's not you know we're not it's not investor driven. Um, obviously, um, it's not migration you know, driven. Um, it's really those that have been looking in these growth areas, been unsure around you know do I really want to move out of my apartment close to the CBD? How am I going to get into work from there? Um, I think the evolution of this year, a lot of those. Um, those hindrances have changed where people are more looking at, okay, I can get 400 square metres of land, I can own my own little piece of Australia, I can build a three, four bedroom house on there, I can have my study to work from home, I look at the amenity, I've got shopping centre, I've got brand new rail being delivered here, um, the roads out to the west are, you know, forever being upgraded and, um, and maybe forever being, being upgraded, but 
a lot of those you know, hindrances are now being overcome by, okay, well, let's go and have a look. Now we can, we don't have to you know, sit in our home. We can actually go out and look at these areas. We're getting great incentives from the government. Um, if you're a first home buyer, you're getting that as well. Developers, builders are providing incentives as well to make it a really attractive and appealing proposition um, for those that are looking to you know, have some security around their, their, their future. Do you think the, I mean, there's, there's forecast that population growth will decrease instrumentally over the next, you know, 12, 24, 36 months. But I think from what you've described, you're, you're seeing a, a, an exodus of people out from the city into the suburbs. So are you concerned about population growth forecasts and that sort of thing over the next few years? Or do you think that it'll, it's a bit overblown? Well, look, it's, it's certainly something that you need to be, you know, tracking and understanding. Um, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, you know, so migration and when they, when you know, migrants move to the country and how they work through that, that buying cycle into owning their home is a couple of years. You know. But a lot of that is driven by policy, you know, you know how they get their PR, when they, when they, when they can get their PR, that how can they get the funding together to be able to go to the bank. So there's a lot of these these hindrances that are just policy driven. So um, if those policies are refined, um, then I don't think migration will be a huge impact um, for the for the medium to long term. Obviously, the more immediate because no one can can move here and can come to Australia. But 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 don't forget, we've had huge migration numbers come through over the last period of time that are coming into that buying cycle um, phase. Um, so you know, it's it's just one of those factors that we're going to have to continue to track. Um, but then our investors starting to flood back in the market that we're starting to see because of you know some you know some um, you know, some compensations around stamp duty and all these type of items. So there's, you know, there's, there's for me, not going to be a huge shortage of demand because the demand's always been there. We've, we've probably been undersupplied in many ways. So we're just catching up to what that demand needed to be. And we've still got a good couple of years, in, in my view, until we would reach that point anyway. In terms of your project pipeline, what are the key fundamentals or, or aspects you look at when assessing a site that comes across your desk? It changes a time um, for, for me depending on the market and where projects are at in the market. I think different to the apartment space in the CBD, you know, it's a really big planning exercise to get through there. But once you do that, you've got all your services at your door. So whether it's water, power, gas, whatever it is, in the growth areas, if if you're if you got to work with five neighbours to bring you know, whether it's water mains or you've got outfalls, you know, or um, whatever it may be, you've got main connector roads that need to go through other properties. They can be real hindrances that just stop your projects. So, you know, ass assessing sites, we always look at where services are. Um, we look at if there's other developers in the area, um, because generally you can sit down with other developers and work through the best outcome to be able to provide services if it's mutually beneficial. Or if you've got landowners out there that have got no interest in having anyone develop near their site, um, and then what, what temporary measures can be you know, delivered um, to make sure that, okay, if we're gonna go forward on this site, we need to be able to have temporary measures there that are acceptable to the authorities to make sure we can um, get out of the ground. So they're, they're, they're probably some of the, you know, probably the key ones of the current market. Um, I don't think, like you, you know, you sit at the start of a pandemic and you assume there's going to be fire sales everywhere. That hasn't happened. Um, there's been some huge money being paid for some, you know, pretty big sites out there. Um, 
local money. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to see that like you would have thought that there's going to be fire sales around the place. I think it's just going to be smart buying mm. um, in the growth areas is, is what we're going to see over the next period of time. And how are you finding deal flow at the moment? I mean, are you, are you getting sites fed through to you by agents or, or is there such a shortage that you're having to go direct to vendors? Yeah, so there is, you know, there's, there's enough deals out there, but again, it's trying to find the right deal for where we need it to fit into our pipeline gaps. Um, I'm, I'm a big one because, you know, it's how we brought majority of those sites is, is us getting out and hunting those opportunities with vendors and they take time. Um, it, it really does take time to, to work through, um, you know, the relationship building piece with, with vendors. Um, you know, so for us to put together four or five 30 acre plots to make one, you know, good sized project can take a long time and a lot of businesses just aren't set up to be able to do that. Where, where that's something, you know, as a business, we really thrive on and I always talk to the team around, that's, that's where opportunities can present themselves. Um, because you go to the market or come through an agent, there's any number of, you know, developers at the table um, where, where, where we've been able to secure some fantastic opportunities is actually, you know, hitting the dirt roads ourselves and walking up the driveways and, being told to nick off and come back the next week and you know just nick off again and but but that's part of building that resilience within the team that that's okay to be told to nick off um, but um, but 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 there are opportunities out there that we're seeing where we're doing a lot of the work to to secure them. Looking at the at the current environment, where would you see opportunities for growth for the business moving forward? Is this development management a, a growing area of business? Will it continue to be Victorian focused or are you seeing uh, activities and, and operations start to ramp up, say in, in Queensland, South East Queensland potentially? We're going to go and continue to secure pipeline um, under, our own, uh, under our own ownership. Um, but growth for us is going to come through partnering up with, with other groups, other groups that have brought extremely well in, in the market over the last period of time, um, but don't have the skill sets around executing. Um, so we are getting approached by a lot of groups who've been in that area, um, which is, you know, which has encouraged us to actually have a look at, okay, well, how can we go out and support and work with these groups, whether it's landowners, um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, financial institutions that have backed in um, a, a purchaser um, and looking to wrap around some real expertise around them. So that certainly is a, a growth area for us um, and one that's sort of grown organically really from um, a lot of uh, inquiry that's come through to us over this year. So um, that's one area. Um, Regional Victoria is one that we're, we're talking to a few landowners in that type of um, structure of development management, but also new markets. So we've recently secured a site up in southeast Queensland um, in the Logan Reserve Corridor, which um, you now it's a 30 plus million dollar project for us. So we'd been canvassing that market for you know, the best part of two years now. Um, these sites specifically since the start of this year. So we got to get in some DD done, you know, walked the sites a couple of times pre-lockdown, um, luckily enough. And then probably the last six months working through those acquisitions has been done remotely. Um, we've got some um, partnerships with groups up in SEQ, been able to you know, go to meetings for us up there, but then also you know, if there's any you know, servicing info we actually needed to see for ourselves, get the iPhone out on site and you know, we'd, sit, we'd sit there on Zoom and work through exactly what, where, what needed to plug in where and how you know, visually it was going to you know, come to life for us. So that's, that's, a, you know, that's a big growth market for us and you know, we've, we've secured our, our first sites there and got a couple others in, in DD and now with restrictions lifted again, I'll, I'll be 
be looking to get up there in the next week or two um, to, to pursue those ones as well. And when you take sort of a macro perspective on the on the market, whether it's in Victoria or, or Queensland or Australia in general, what are the, the biggest challenges do you think that developers are facing at the moment? So some of the, well, there are always the challenges is the funding, um, is, is some of the cha um, challenges there and, and the funding that's available to make your project successful from, from, from the start. There's a number of um, funding opportunities, but it's working through, okay, well, how can they work and what structure can be put together to, you know, to make sure that the, the projects are being successful from the start. Um, but, but also, I think the, the time of construction has always been a challenge um, by, by, by way of actually getting someone committed to buying their dream block of land to actually handing over the title in many instances got out to a, you know, a couple of years, um, which is a long time. You know, people's circumstances change. So that has been a real challenge, but I'm confident from what I'm seeing on the ground on our projects that that's, um, that has really tightened up significantly. And um, you know, Winslow, who are one of our you know, larger contractors across the portfolio this year have been um, instrumental and, and enormous um, in really working with, with my team on how we can sharpen up that process, um, which has been a real challenge for us that we're, you know, we're going to see the, the benefits of the, you know, these moves you know, moving forward in the portfolio. And just on that lending environment, I think you've got a good relationship with Asian-based non-bank lender OCP. Yep. How have they supported your developments in the past? And I guess the second part of that is how are you finding non-bank lenders v traditional banks at the moment? Are you seeing traditional banks come back into the market in a competitive way or still a while off? Yeah, there is, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interest there from, you know, from, from traditional, but also non-traditional bank lenders. Um, everyone in the market this year, I understand, has acted very cautiously um, around what opportunities are, that, are there. I've got a fantastic partnership with, with OCP and also Banner Asset Management, who are one of the larger funders down at, at Armstrong Creek. Um, and I've worked with these groups for, Oh, six, seven, seven odd years now. Um, and there's real strategic nature in, in, in how we work through um, insights, how we work through um, the funding structures that are, are required for, for projects. Um, and it's something that I've really you know, enjoyed with, with, with both of those groups. And, um, and now with moving into a new market in SEQ, we don't go and, uh, you know, it's not like we've been sitting from our Zoom desk this year, locked up in Melbourne, and saw the sun happening in southeast Queensland, and said, "Let's go and buy some site." Yeah, we've we've worked through that um, for a good period of time to make sure when the deals are right, then they stacked up. We can actually move move quick to secure them. So, um, yeah, as I said in the previous, there's no there's no issue with funding out there, um, but it is um, finding the right funding structure to work into you know, any any developers project, um, which you know, I'm, you know, I'm grateful and thankful that the, the funding partners I've got have got a good understanding of the development space um, and, and a good understanding around working through where the opportunities will come from in the future. And how do you find dealing with councils, whether it's in Victoria or Queensland, is there a certain knack you've got to have or, or how much patience do you have to have in, in dealing with them? I don't think there's a knack. If someone's got the knack, then, uh, then they're, they're, they're going well. Um, I find, I find with with councils in particular, it doesn't matter, you know, which council we're working with, um, the the old mentality of always combative, uh, a combative 
position with council is not the right one to take. Um, understand that they've got key drivers that they're looking at from their community. We've got key drivers that we're looking at from our project and for the community that we're trying to develop and actually work through them um, you know, functionally and actually understand that you know, going on the front foot all the time isn't the right approach to be taking um, because we've been able to get some fantastic results out of our projects um, for our communities by being able to sit down with council and actually talk through some of the issues with some of the, the requests that have come back from council. But equally, there's things they come back and say, absolutely not, we're not allowing this. We'll try and work through that piece with them to get them a great understanding. And if they're not accepting for whatever reason, okay, we, you know, we, we move on you know, because time is, is money um, and we're not always going to win all of them. But if, if the councils know that when we're coming to the table to talk through an issue um, or, or a change in something, that we're there as a, as a more partnership-driven conversation rather than a combative one. Final question, what's, what's next for Andrew Welsh and, and Welco? Oh, look, I think this year's been extremely challenging, um, you know, for the, for the business, for society, for everyone personally. So um, I'm really proud of what, what my team's been able to pull together this year in extremely challenging environment he, here in Melbourne, um, which is really going to provide the platforms and pillars for us to continue to, to grow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 37. I don't want to, I enjoy working. I enjoy the property space. I don't want to be retiring. Um, so having really good people around the business this year and bringing good people into the business is going to give us the ability to do that you know, push hard into these new markets um, the development management space southeast queensland you know melbourne um, melbourne growth corridors is is something that i think um, you know people are looking upon what we've achieved as a business this year and what our team's been able to really drive um, from an outcome perspective, which is naturally going to bring new opportunities to the table for us. So um, I'm not looking to sit on a beach anytime soon. I'm looking to, you know, continue to build partnerships with with, with people, with groups, because we've had some huge successes um, this year, but um, having a beer on Zoom and enjoying those successes, you know, it's, it's not what we're, we're built for. So the successes and enjoying them with the team, um, you know, for me is really highlighted, you know, why we, why, why, why we do these things. Andrew, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for your time.